All right, how we doing this morning, y'all? All right. Hey, if you have a Bible with you, I want you to turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. <laughs> You're not there yet. You're not that fast. John chapter 8. All right, was anybody else freezing this morning like me? Holy cow, okay. This boy, I, I've lived in two places in my life, Ecuador and Southern California, San Diego. So on a morning like this, I woke up and I walked outside and I was like, nope. And I just turned around and walked right back inside, right? You're lucky I found my way up here somehow covered in blankets and jackets. Uh, I do not do the cold very well. Uh, but this morning, I, we want to dive into the story and we want to kind of pick it up where we left off, right? So quick little recap. We've been talking about this theme, pawn order, and this Jesus character has been on trial, and we've been looking at different truths throughout this week. So we opened up this story on Monday night talking about God, right? John writes a little bit different. He goes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through him. And we decided on these three things, right? We, we looked at the text, and we said, okay, through understanding, opening up, reading the text, we see that, number one, Jesus was in the beginning. He pre-existed time itself. So Jesus always has been, and he always will be. So now, Hume, if I ask the question, where do we first see Jesus in the Bible? Y'all would tell me. Genesis 1. Right? We open up this story and Jesus himself pre-exists time. So not only was he in the beginning, he always has been, he always will be, okay? but he is the source of life and truth, that it comes from him, it comes through him. And so when we read phrases like John chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, nobody gets to the Father except through me, we go, no, yeah, we get that. We saw that in John chapter 1, too. And then we saw that Jesus was in the beginning and he was equal with God. That Jesus wasn't just a good teacher, he wasn't just a good prophet, he wasn't just a good healer, right? We can disregard him, we can downplay him, we can talk about this last night, or we can be a disciple of his. So we looked at the fact that there is this God character, and then we looked at his word, the truth of God's word. And we saw that this, this book right here, it's final, it's authoritative, it's sufficient, it's trustworthy. That Genesis through Revelation, this is the greatest story that's ever told. It's hardly ever told in its entirety. Too often, we can magic eight ball this thing, right? We can shake it up and we can open it up and we go, what does this have to do with me? But can I just let you in on something, right? If you start studying your Bible like this, instead of opening it up and having the first question be, what does this have to do with me, let this be a lesson, right? Like take this away down the mountain from here on out. If you take this book and you open it up and every time you open it, you just pause and you just ask God, Right? Remember the verse we read that said all scripture is God breathed, it's breathed out by him, that yes, he used mankind to pen it, to author it, but he breathed it out. This is his story. So every time you open it, if you sit down at home with this book or at school with this book or wherever, at church, and you just ask God, you just say, hey, God, would you reveal yourself to me through your word? Would that just be a prayer of yours? Hey, God. You breathe this out. Would you speak to me through it? Would you reveal yourself through it? And then ask this question. Instead of, what does this have to do with me? 
Ask the question, God, what does this have to do with you? And start there by going everywhere that we read our Bible, just going, hey, God, I believe that you want to reveal some aspect of yourself, some part of yourself. And do you want to know why that's important, friend? Because from the very beginning, God declared, hey, this is who I am, and this is what I say. And then in Genesis chapter 3, we saw that we have an enemy, and he's crafty. And with these four words, he changed the course of time. Did God really say? And if our enemy can get us to doubt who God is and what he says, then he can work his way in and cause us to distrust who God is. And when we distrust who God is, ultimately that's where sin enters in. Sin, we've used two definitions all week. Number one is our unwillingness to believe that what God wants for us is our deepest happiness. Remember the ice cream at 7 a.m.? I remember, hey, Dada, can I have ice cream? No. If I just wanted Piper to be happy, what do I say? Yes. If I want her deepest happiness, I go, I actually might know what's better for you, Piper. If there is a God who always has been and always will be, friend, is it possible that he knows more than us? Is it possible that when he asks us to do something or not do something, that it might be in our best interest? But we won't believe that it's in our best interest if we don't trust who God is and what he says. Hey, so this is kind of the journey we've been on. There is a God. He's revealed himself through scripture. He's revealed himself through the person of Jesus who came to teach, who came to demonstrate what love looks like. And so this morning we want to pick up on kind of where do we fall in this story? What's, what's our part? What's our role? Uh, a handful of years ago, uh, I got to go on a, on a missions trip with my youth group. Anybody ever been on a, on a missions trip or a missions day or served even locally in your community? That's what we do in my youth group right now. We do, we do like a two-day local missions trip. We get to serve our community, and it's, it's a blast. But then I've, I've gotten um, the chance to do a couple of international missions trips as well. And I went to this place called the Dominican Republic with my youth group. And for whatever reason, I don't really know why, but I love hotels. Like, I, growing up as a missionary kid, we would come back to the U.S. for the summers, and we would travel all around, and my dad would be teaching at these different churches, and we would get to stay in these hotels, and for whatever reason, like, checking into a hotel was always, like, a really special experience for me. And, like, I love that you get, like, a key card, and you get to kind of, like, mess up your room and leave a towel on the floor, and then people come back in that afternoon, and you're like, bed's made, and the towels are fresh, and you're like, ooh, the hotel fairies were here. And I love the continental breakfast, like for whatever reason, I love going down and like, you know that waffle machine where you like pour the batter in and you close it and you spin it. And it's just like, I love hotels. It's great. It's, it's so fun staying there. And so we were checking in at the Dominican Republic at this hotel and I got my whole youth group with me and we're checking in and I was kind of surprised. Checking into a hotel in the DR was very similar to checking in a hotel in the US. And they're like, it's, you know, it's all in speaking in Spanish, but they're giving us like the same spiel. Like, hey, check in, you know, is that this time? And checkouts at this time. And here, you know, the pool is over here and the gym is on the third floor. And I'm like, who needs that when I'm in the hotel, right? Like, it's, we're just having a great time. And I'm shocked that this whole spiel is the same. And then she says this to me, like, as I'm about to hand out the key cards to all my students, the, the lady checking us in goes, hey, um, Mr. Payne, by the way, there's a field, like a big sports field behind the hotel. And I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, speaking my language. And she's like, just be careful if you go into that field because the Dominican Republic uh, has a, a history of civil war. 
And there's been a lot of like uh, wars fought actually around this region within the last 10, 20 years. And so if you go into that field, just be careful because there's still some uh, undiscovered landmines back there. Anyways, enjoy your stay. And I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Wait, what? Did you, I'm sorry. <laughs> it sounded like you just said landmines. And she's like, mm-hmm, enjoy your stay. I'm like, oh, <laughs> what? Like, that's, that's a first for me at a hotel check-in, right? Like, I've, I've never gotten this before. And so here's, here's the deal, right? Like, youth pastors, teachers, leaders in the room, the last phone call you ever want to make when you're on an international missions trip or anywhere is this phone call where you're like, ring, 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 ring. <clears throat> yes, hello, Mrs. Wilson. Yeah, yeah, no, it's going great. It's going great. Um, you know Timmy? Of course you know Timmy. That's your son. Um, you know how Timmy used to have two legs? He, does, he doesn't need, like, both of the, those, right? Like, no, you don't want to make that phone call. And so you know what I said to my, two, my crew? I was like, y'all, field behind the hotel, off limits. We're not going back there, right? Like, if there's even the slightest chance of one of y'all being, like, ultimate and then landmine, like, that's not happening. We're not doing that. And so it's, it's funny, right? Like, it, and if I were to say, hey, students, I'm going to set you free. You can go and do whatever you want while you're here in the hotel, like play in the field behind, like you're free to do whatever you want. Freedom would look like certain death or like crazy injury for one of my students, right? But if I were to go back there, like how easy would it have been? Like I love going to the beach. Like I love surfing. I love going on walks on the beach with my dog and with my daughters and my, and my wife. Like I love being on the beach. But every time I'm at the beach, there's always that one person that has like the headphones on. And they got that wand thing, you know what I'm talking about? And they're like hunting for something, I don't know, like an engagement ring washed away, right? Like, will you marry me? Oh no, right? And then that person's like, like the metal detector out there, they're, they're just like searching and they're, they got the little like scooper thing and they pick up sand and they shift it out. And I'm like, how easy would it be to go to that field behind the hotel? Just, I got a stack of cones and a metal detector. And just like go back there and go, beep, 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 ah. Certain death right here. Cone, cone, cone. Keep scanning. And I just scan the whole field. Beep. Ah, certain death right here. Cone, cone, cone. And I just, I just keep scanning. Scan the whole field. Beep. Cone, 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 death. And pretty soon, we can step back and I can look at my students and I can go, hey, everywhere you see cones, certain death. Everywhere else, free game. You do you. Hey, so, but freedom, if you literally Google define freedom for me, right? If you go to chat GBT and you go, what is freedom? Do you know what's going to spit back at you? It's going to say freedom is the ability to do what you want to do, when you want to do it, however you want to do it. That's freedom. But in the context of this story, if I were to tell my students, you're free to play in this field wherever you want, which one of you would go, oh, you're such a good pastor, you love your students so much, you just want to set them free. No, you'd be like, you're terrible. Right? You shouldn't be internationally with anybody. You, like, you have no responsibility. You don't love these students. So freedom, the actual definition of freedom here, is for me to cone off all the certain death spots and then go, okay, everywhere else you're free to play. Anybody have a pet fish in here? Yeah, you have a pet fish? My man, Mr. 49ers fan. What's your pet fish's name? Trey? Trey Lance? What? What's his name? Rango. Rango? That's a great, that's a great uh, fish name. Okay, what's your name, bro? Uh, Logan. Logan? That's my brother's name. Okay, Logan, if Rango, if Rango just 
magically was able to swim up to you and be like, what's up, Logan? And you were like, Rango, my man. Right? And you just were like, hey, Rango, what's up? How, how you doing? And Rango was like, Logan, I'm tired. I'm tired of this fishbowl. I'm tired of this tank. I want to be free. And Logan was like, all right, bet. And he scooped up Rango. And he was like, be free, Rango, like I am free. And just set him free in his room. Right? All of us would go, oh, rip, Rango. Right? Like, you gonna die. Why? Because we know, y'all are intelligent enough to know that for a fish to thrive, for a fish to survive, it has to be in the context of water. So freedom, the definition of freedom is actually not the ability to do whatever you want to do, however you want to do it, whenever you want to do it. The, the definition of freedom is what are the confinements in which I will live my best life? Does that make sense? John chapter 20, verse 31, we've read this two times. The third time is this morning where John says, hey, friend, this is why I've written this book. I've written this book so that you might believe in Jesus, and that through believing in Jesus, and remember, believe equals what? Trust. trust. Good, okay? That you would trust, that you would put your trust in him, and you would understand that through trusting him and believing in him, you will have life. See, John seems to tie life with trusting and obeying Jesus. The problem is, every single one of us, we have a sin problem. Right? Sin entered into the picture when you and I go, yeah, I see all the cones, but I want to do what I want to do it when I want to do it how I want to do it. Right? Sin is any thought, word, action, or attitude that goes against God's direction for our life. What his design is, and you and I have a tendency to go, I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. So let's dive in. John chapter 8. Hey, I just want to read the end of this story. We saw it play out over here. Right? Remember this dog that chewed a hole in the tennis ball and they went, how could you? Right? This, is, this is a true story. It's found in John chapter 8 and there's this woman that says that she's caught in adultery. Right? She's caught in this moment in a sin in an action that goes against God's design for her life and for her marriage. And so she's dragged out, and the, the Pharisees, their goal here is to catch Jesus like in a moment where he doesn't know what to say. And so they drag this woman out, and they drag her out in her shame, and they say, Jesus, what are you going to do about this? And I just want to read the end of this story. It says this in verse 6. It says they were using this question as a trap in order to have basis for accusing Jesus, but Jesus bends down and he starts to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without, what? Sin. Without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down, he wrote on the ground at this, those who heard to go away one at a time, the oldest ones first, until only Jesus was left. With the woman still standing there, Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. See, I think this is significant that the older ones walk away first. One of my favorite theologians, he says this. He says, when I was a young man, I sinned a lot more, but I felt a lot less bad about it. Now that I'm an older man, I sin a lot less, and yet I feel the weight of my sin. 
I understand the separation that it creates between me, imperfect, and God who is perfect. I understand that sin has a consequence. And over here, we see this story play out where Jesus looks at this woman caught dead to rights in her sin. He says, I don't condemn you. Why? I turn back to John chapter 3. And this is uh, arguably one of the most famous verses in the Bible. Uh, if you watch sports, this is a verse that you'll see like in the, in, the, in the stands. This is a verse that you'll see athletes like write in their eye black or on their cleats. Right? This is a verse that uh, for, in our culture, right? in, in American culture, you see this verse posted all over the place. And it's John chapter 3, verse 16. And maybe you know it, maybe you don't. I'm just going to read it for us here. John chapter 3, verse 16. In the context, he's talking to this guy named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, the cool thing about Nicodemus is this. Y'all know Fluffy and Snowball, right? They're trying to like, they're the Pharisees, Sadducees. They're the ones that are trying to catch Jesus, right? They're like this religious elite. They hold all the power and Jesus is threatening their power. Nicodemus is one of them. He's, he, he belongs with the fluffy snowball crew, and yet he's wrestling with who Jesus is. And I love this about Jesus. Whether it was the woman caught in adultery or the cat that was on trial that he wasn't supposed to talk to, that felt shame, that felt alone, that felt too far gone, or it was this religious elite. Jesus came and met with each one of them and desired relationship with them. I think that's the coolest thing about Jesus that he just paused over and over again in conversation with them. And he says this in John chapter three, verse 16. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him. And again, remember, remember what we talked about? John uses this word believe all the time, but it's not just like a belief up here because it's easy to believe something up here. Right? Like if, if I just believe something to be true, I can believe something, but not actually act upon it. There's a difference there. I can believe something to be true, but it doesn't change anything about my life. For John, belief equaled trust, and trust always changes something about your life, always. So it says, whoever believes, whoever puts their trust in Jesus shall not perish, but have eternal life. And then here's maybe one of the most underrated verses in the book of John. Right? We might all know John 3.16, but the very next verse, John 3.17, says this. For God did not send his son, Jesus, into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And here's where I have a question. For every one of us in this room, we look at this concept of sin. And we go, ah, I struggle with this. I wrestle with this. In your life, in the life of Genesis chapter three, why couldn't Jesus just go, hey, no big deal? Right, aren't you taught, right, in your household, like if somebody sins against you, right, like if somebody takes something that's not yours, like how many of you have siblings? Okay, okay, for those of you with siblings, you know this very well, right? Like sin, it, if you're sitting in here and you have siblings, and I, I said this statement, I said, we have all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. Those of us with siblings or those of you parents in the room with kids, you go, mm-hmm, yeah. I got no problem with that. Wanna know why? Because sin is like, it's just inherent. 
We, we see it from like the smallest of children. My nephews and nieces, they came over recently and uh, Piper was playing with her toys. She has this whole like bin of toys. And when my nephews and nieces came over and they walked up to her bin of toys, what's the word that starts with M that Piper started shouting? Mine. Mine. Okay, now y'all don't know me super well, but you know me well enough to know like I'm doing my best to be a dad. Do you think before my nephews and nieces came over, I sat down Piper and was like, okay, Pipes, listen, ready? Your nephews and nieces are about to come over and they're probably gonna wanna play with your toys. And when they wanna play with your toys, make sure you look at them, make sure you snatch a toy out of their hand and make sure you say this, mine. Repeat after me, ready? Mine. And I'm like, ooh, good, good. All right, my job here is done as dad. Right? No, of course not, right? That's like, I don't coach Piper through selfishness. It just comes naturally. Like she could have 300 blocks, and then my niece Emma picks up one little block and starts playing with it, and Piper will walk away from her 300 blocks, walk over to the one block and go, mine. And I'm like, oh. You sinner, you two and a half year old sinner. Like where did this come from? I didn't teach you that, Paige didn't teach you that. It's just inherent. And yet those of you with siblings, you go, okay, if, if one of your siblings wrongs you, have your parents ever sat you down and been like, okay, let's work this out. Let's, let's figure this out, okay? And you gotta, you gotta ask for forgiveness. Anybody ever had to have to ask for forgiveness before? Any of your siblings ever asked for forgiveness from you? And if your parents are trying to work it out, or if your teacher's trying to work it out, you're supposed to look at them and go like, I forgive you, or I'm sorry, or I'm sorry that I did this. And then you, you figure it out, and then you move past it. This is what we're taught, right? And yet we look at God. We look at God and we go, uh, why couldn't he just get over it? Like when sin entered into the picture, why couldn't God just go, hey, I forgive you, no big deal. And here's why. Okay, when we sinned against God, it wasn't just like a, oops, I did it again. When we sinned against God, we actually committed cosmic treason against the God that always has been and always will be. And when we sin against the utmost authority There has to be a consequence because God is a just God. And here's here's just, I just wanna break this down for us just as we wrap up here this morning, okay? Um, And here's what I'm gonna ask of you, okay? I need every eye in the room, every eye on me, okay? In the room, okay? I made two commitments to you. Number one, everything we talk about is gonna come from the? Number two, I'm gonna treat you like? Adults. Here's an adult moment, okay? I wanna use an analogy with you that I believe will bring this home, but I need your help, okay? I need your help. As I walk through this analogy, as we talk through each part of it, I need you to stay with me, yes? Capiche? Okay, stay with me here. If you walked up to your sibling or classmate, okay, you just walked up to them, and they did something that made you mad, and you walk up to them and you just go, hello, right hand. Whack, and you just smack them in the face, okay? If you do this, if you do this, there's gonna be a consequence, right? There's gonna be a consequence, right? Uh, how many of you are teachers in the room, teachers? Okay, if one of your students 
walks up and slaps another student across the face, there's probably a consequence, right? They're going to the principal's office. Maybe they get suspended for a little bit. There's definitely a call home to mom and dad. But at the end of the day, that's probably where it stops, right? It's like suspension. Maybe you get grounded at home, something like that. Okay, now, teachers in the room, where are you? Okay, teachers, one of your students. Teachers, have you ever had a student mad at you? No, right? Not you guys. You've never had a student mad at you. Of course you have. Okay, so you have a student that's particularly mad at you, and they walk up to you, teacher, and they're like, hello, Mr. Johnson. And they just, hello, right hand. Whack! And they just, they just clock you, okay? Okay, now teachers in the room. Y'all are good teachers, so you're going to take that hit, and you're going to do everything you can not to pummel that student. And then you're going to go, okay, you're probably done at this school, right? You're going to go to the principal's office. You're probably getting expelled, right? If you hit a peer, there's a consequence, but it, it probably stops at that consequence. If you hit a teacher, an authority figure, that consequence is going to get upped, right? Like you're going to get expelled. The, the consequence is greater. Now, if you walk up in your town to a police officer and you just look at that police officer and maybe, maybe the, the police officer like pulled your mom over, your dad over, your grandpa over for speeding and you're like, speeding ticket, huh? And you get out of your car, you unbuckle and you walk up to that police officer and you're like, hello, right hand. And you go, hello, officer. And you just whack, you strike this police officer across the face. In the state of California, in the state of California, you are a minor, you are a minor, which helps you out in this situation, but in the state of California, you are getting arrested in this moment, right? You're gonna at least spend a night in juvie, if not longer. If you strike a police officer in the state of California, there is jail time associated with that. Hey, now, if you walked up to the highest command in our country, and you walked up to, to POTUS, the President of the United States, and you walked up to that Mr. Biden, and you went, hey, hello, Mr. President, hello, right hand, and you just walked up to the President, okay? Regardless of your feelings, regardless of your political association, right? No, 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 don't clap, don't clap, don't clap, don't clap, okay? Again, regardless of your feelings, if you said hello right hand and you struck the President of the United States, this is true. This is a fact in our country. You are getting fined a bare minimum of $250,000 and you're spending one year in a federal prison, okay? Again, as minors, that's gonna look a little different, but that's the consequence. So do you see this? You walk up to your peer and you smack him. Hey, I'm sorry, I forgive you consequence. Teacher, police officer, highest authority in our land. Now, friend, it's not a physical striking, but when you and I sin against the God of the universe, there has to be a consequence if he is going to be a just God. And we look all throughout scripture, Genesis to Revelation, and we go, God is fully just The crazy thing about God, a God who always has been and always will be, is we can look at every one of his attributes and he is 100% every single one of his attributes. He's not like 50% just and 50% merciful. 
No, he's 100% just and 100% merciful. And tonight we're going to look at how that plays out. But right now I want to leave us with this. Sin has a consequence. And all sin must be paid for in order for God to be just. And so you and I, if we're not careful, and this is just where I want to finish, and I want all eyes in the chapel on me, real quick, real quick. We're going we're to close right here. If you and I aren't careful, it's really easy for us to start believing these two things. I'm not that bad. And if I'm not that bad, then God isn't that good. And the reason we can land on this is because we're looking at the people to our left and we're looking at the people to our right and we start comparing ourselves this way. We go, well, she's worse than I am or he's done way worse things than I am or I've never done what she's done and we compare this way. And what the Bible asks us to do is it says we are all sinners, which puts us all on a level playing field, which means we look this way, not this way, and realize our sin separates us from the God of the universe. So to believe the statement, I'm not that bad, is to take away from the truth of Scripture. Because we are that bad. We've committed cosmic treason against the highest authority there is, and there is a consequence because of that treason. There's a consequence because of that sin. Hey, pray with me. God, thanks for this morning. And in the midst of a truth that's a little harder to swallow, God, I just ask today that you would give us the courage, God, maybe the boldness to look ourselves in the mirror and to recognize that we need saving from something. And we can read a verse like John 3.16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And I ask today that we would wrestle with the question, why did he have to give Jesus? What are we being saved from? Would we have the courage today to pause to understand, to recognize that we have a sin problem. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can open it up in Genesis to Revelation. We can dive into a story and understand more of who you are. God, I ask today that we would take one step of trust closer to you, that we would walk with you closer today than we did yesterday. We love you. Thanks for loving us first. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Austin.